Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are power for impact. I'm Ron Huntley, your host. The title of our podcast today is Diocesan Accompaniment, Helping Parishes Come Alive. Calvin Mueller works with Archbishop George Lucas as a team lead for the diocesan staff tasked with coming alongside a parish priest in their efforts to bring their parishes to full life. Formed as a missionary with focus, Calvin has a passion for relational ministry and a love for the church. Calvin is a committed family man and a great leader. This episode will give you insight into one forward-thinking diocese effort to love and support their priests in concrete and effective ways. Enjoy the episode. Lift off and the clock has started. In this time in our history, all over the world, dioceses are trying to figure out how they can better partner with their local parish. Because after all, a diocese is only as successful as parishes are fruitful. One of the first dioceses I got to work with was in Omaha, where I met Calvin Mueller. And Calvin is our guest here today. Welcome, Calvin. Hey, Ron. It is so good to be with you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. When you, as a diocese, when you came onto this team and you guys began to figure out what role you wanted to play with the parishes in the diocese, how did you guys come about that self-identity, that position, and, and that understanding of how you would support your parishes? Yeah, when I, I guess I was invo- invited to, to join the diocese in 2018, and that was after our archbishop had you know, kind of put forth a vision of, of helping our parishes and having our parishes embrace a vision of being one church, countering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. And I heard that, and I was like, well, that's something I could get on board with. But I was hired, you know, under this kind of umbrella of evangelization as an evangelization coordinator. And so I came in with this, this, an agenda of like, all right, my passion is men's movements and men's engagement. And I can't wait to start rolling with these parishes to, to empower men to live their, their Catholic identity. So I set out to just start meeting with these pastors and saying, okay, how is this vision coming to life in your parish and how on fire is it? And I was quickly, uh, quickly realized that oh, it's unique to every parish. And, and for the most part, it was just a nice tagline, um, but wasn't becoming a reality in those parishes. And, um, and so it was just like a rude awakening that, you know, all my dreams, my visions, my, my plans to, to run wild. Um, I just saw, you know, uh, not being able to take hold because our, our parishes weren't healthy. You know, I, have, I have a good priest friend who just says, uh, the body's only healthy if the cells are healthy and our parishes make up the cells. And if the cells are not healthy, the body healthy. And just, he's just quick to acknowledge that for the most part, our, our cells are not healthy, our parishes are not healthy. And so I, I just set out to have conversations with our pastor and just ask questions about, okay, you know, this conference came in, how did it, how did it get implemented in your parish? Hey, you heard this inspiring a talk, divine renovation, amazing parish. How's it getting implemented in your parish? And time and time again, it was like, well, we tried this and now nothing is happening. Or, uh, you know, it just didn't translate to our unique uh, you know, perish our, our unique circumstances. So I'm so grateful to be a part of a team that was just dedicated to 
having evangelization rise to the forefront in parishes. So we were able to just come together as a group and say, okay, well, this is the reality we're dealing with. How do we change that? And for the last two and a half years and, and grateful for, you know, the year before I came on board, having a team that was just dedicated to um, taking the next appropriate step to help our parishes, you know, come alive. And that's where, you know, coaching just came to the forefront thing. We have to be willing to enter into that messiness with our pastors and say, uh, you know, Father, what, what is the current reality? What, what is the goal here? What are we trying to do? And can I, can I help you in, uh, at, at your local level here at this parish take the next appropriate step in order that you could be the missional community that Christ is calling you to be? And it, um, I can remember one of the first pastors that I sat with this being like, well, Father, what do you want? And first, all these walls came up of like, <laughs> what do you want? You're a diocese employee. What are you trying to push? What are you yeah. trying to like? What what yeah. is your agenda here? No and it's trust like, oh, whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> zero trust. And and so I had to. That was a rude awakening with all of these pastors. I have to commit to building trust with them. Yes. And um, uh, I left there. I remember calling my boss and being like, I'm pretty sure that guy hates my guts. <laughs> and then being like, and being like, oh no no, he has that reputation. That means he probably really loves you. <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to try again. And so I went and met with him again. And again, we just connected on like a youth ministry thing like that. I could tell he had a passion for. And then, um, and then at one point I just asked the question, it's like, well, father, what, what's the end goal of that? And he's just like, I I want people to articulate the gospel clearly. And like, that was my end. Be like, and I was like, great. Well, what does that mean for you, father? And how, how, well, how did you plan on making that? He's one of my favorite pastors now. Yeah. Close friend. Long story short, right? He, his first meeting with his parish council to, to present to them, we're going to start presenting the gospel was so awful. But then being able to come back to him and say like, Father, awesome attempt. That was great. Now what are we going to do? And for the first time, he had somebody just in his corner saying, thank you so much for trying that. You had the right instinct there. What are we going to do next? Mm. And it's led to two and a half years of trying and failing and attempting and and helping empower him to lead a team that's doing beautiful things at his parish. But yeah, I guess that's one of many examples of just getting into the nitty gritty and now having a team that's formed, that is, is willing to accompany our, our pastors as they set out on this journey in this crazy time of trying to be Catholic. It's, it's a riot. There's a few things I heard there that I, I just want to pinpoint. And one of them is that, you know, because what your background was with, you were a focused missionary, weren't you? Yep. Yep, so, I was entrenched so evangelization, in yeah, relational ministry, evangelization, bringing people to Christ. It was your passion. And, and what were you inspired by? Your bishop's vision. And so what's so important, and I, I want to highlight that because whether you're a bishop or a priest, it's your vision that is going to attract people of capacity. And so it should be compelling. <laughs> it has to be compelling in God's side. And I love that your bishop's vision was big enough to capture your imagination mm. because you are a person of capacity, somebody who is so in love with Christ and has the, the gifts to influence and support and help others be great. And so I just want to point that out. The other thing I think is really important too is that, and I've often said, the world doesn't need more information. Mm. There is so much great information out there in conferences. And I'm not saying don't go to conferences. I think they're a really important part. I keep reading books, keep going to conferences. But 
where we break down is in the implementation. You know, it's kind of like golfing. Like I watch a lot of golf. I'm a terrible golfer. (laughs) (laughs) I I watch, it doesn't translate. I actually need somebody to help me because even when I'm on the, at the driving range, I'm one of the best driving range golfers you've ever seen, but put me in front of an actual pin in a hole and I fall apart and I don't know why. Like, I feel like I'm doing the exact same thing I did at the driving range. We'll, we'll make your way to Nebraska. We'll test out that theory. Okay. And so I think the same thing is true with leading churches. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I, I want to, I think a lot of pastors are going, I would love to have a church on fire. I would love to have a church that's amazing. Of course I want that. I went to that conference. I would love to implement them, but how? They don't know how. And, and that's where you and your team come along and or trying to come along because that's not even easy. Like, how do you define a right. coaching relationship? You know, are you just somebody here representing the diocese or are you really in my corner? So I just love what I'm hearing and how to build that trust and, well, just just to run with that analogy, because I, I use a similar analogy this week with the team that I now get to, to work really closely with, that is kind of set out this with this journey. And we we honestly don't use the term coaching with a pastor. It's kind of a, yes. uh, I mean, a, a, a term that is um, can be skewed in a lot of different ways, but Fair. we demonstrate to a pastor that we're committed to them. And, and once we have that trust, I guess we can kind of use whatever language we want, but we usually don't lead with that because it's not common yes. within the church to be like, well, I need a coach or you need to be coached because you're doing things wrong. It's like, no, we just try to demonstrate that we're here and we're committed to you. And, and we give the right, God willing, the, the right bit of information after a lot of listening that helps them take the next step. But the, the analogy I used with my team as we are figuring out as a diocese employee, this isn't what we were used to. This is not what we kind of signed up for. You signed up to be a pro-life leader. You signed up to do development. You signed up to do this, but recognize we have to be committed collectively to helping our parishes become healthy. So I just said, the most important thing that we can do right now as parishes is start golfing. Like <laughs> I just said, like we have to get out on the, in, 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 into the, not the range, the field. What did we play golf on a course? We got to get out on the course. I'm not a great leader, but I tried this analogy, right? Like we have to get out on the course and start hitting shots with our pastors. And before we, um, uh, before we come together and say like, okay, we need to, we need to practice this swing and this swing and do this and this, like the best way that we can grow as coaches is getting on the course and hitting the ball and trying this and this with this pastor. And then we come together and sure we have a time at the range to perfect things, but we don't, we don't stay huddled up in our, in our diocesan offices and, and try to pick apart our game from there. We get out in the course, we play golf, and then we come back and we make adjustments. Um, so that was kind of the analogy I ran with my team this week. Like let's be committed to getting on the course with our pastors and, and hitting shots mission right now and he, he he presents you know setting out on this apostolic journey there's a tendency to want all boats to rise together and and we are constantly wrestling that with the team where do we give our best effort here's what's difficult yeah. about you know the typical parish or the typical leader of most parishes you know throughout the midwest or in the united states it's um nobody has taken the time to stir up the desires of our of our leaders and of our pastors so that they would have an opportunity to demonstrate, like, I, I could be all in on this. You know, they're quickly written off as like, well, that's not happening there. Or, you know, that parish is just, it's always kind of floundered. Or that person just isn't that dedicated enough. Uh, and that, that certainly might be the case, you know, with, with, 
with leaders in any industry and, and certainly within the church. Yeah. But, um, but we try to balance as a team being committed to being present to our pastors and stirring up and allowing them to, to demonstrate and show to us that like, Hey, we want to move forward as a missional community and I'm willing to put into the, the work and the effort. And we found that when we were, we're committed to building that trust up with, with pastors, um, uh, you know, certainly some rise to the top of saying, Hey, I want to go all in, but we, we find ourselves getting surprised by those pastors that we would have at one point written off, written off, rising to the forefront and saying, let's, let's do this. I, I finally have somebody here to help me. I, great. I'm all in. Let's go. Uh, and so that's been a, it's been a fun journey as a team to, to, to try this out within our diocese and discuss discover that about so many incredible leaders and great pastors and creative thinkers that, that were not tapped into um, not that long ago. Right. And I think that's such a really nifty principle because there are, and I see that in all kinds of different things that I've led in my life, uh, that there are some people I think, man, they're just going to be a perfect fit. And for some reason it doesn't work out and I'm disappointed. And then there's other people that they've been there and it's like, all of a sudden they rise up and they become your superstars. Like I didn't see that coming. Like my, my judgment is far from perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And and when God inspires somebody and somebody feels supported and called like, look out, Mm. like anything's possible, which does make it so much fun. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I I just think people, I mentioned the pastor earlier that I, you know, attempted those few yeah. conversations right away. People are like, Hey, make sure that that guy has coffee first because he might bite your head off. And it's like, Oh, this is going to be so fun. And, and that was the case, right? Like I, I left and now he's one of my favorites and, and he's doing incredibly bold things to move the mission forward um, in his parish, um, uh, which is just so fun That's to be a so part of. Exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so exciting. And so tell me some of the things that, that, you know, because everywhere I go, whether it's speaking or coaching, people say, well, you don't get it. Uh, we're, we're different. And so they, they see themselves as very different and unique and, and fair enough. But let me ask you, in Omaha, what are some of the things that pastors run into that are obstacles to explosive impact? So they have this desire, but what are they running? What are, what's the, what are the things they run into that's like, oh takes their energy if they find disappointing or difficult? That's great. Such a great question. Such an important thing to reflect on. You could take so many angles with this. I think we, we just were talking about this as a team that like we try to enter into our conversations every week, reminding our pastors of the visions they're committed to, reminding our pastors of what the Lord is calling us to. And so, you know, my, my favorite question lately has been to, to start the conversation has been like, Hey, father, what's been your burn the ship moment this last week. And just kind of saying like, Hey, how am I going all in on moving this mission forward? And what's been the struggle or what it's just led to really fun conversations. But <clears throat> time and time again, we, we have pastors stop and say, well, this is what I'm currently dealing with that does not seem to apply to the mission and to them moving forward. It's like, son of a gun, this distraction or this, this, uh, you know, this setback or this, and, um, so I guess I just set that up to say, like, there's so many angles that we could take here. One, I just said, our, our, our pastors are under a tremendous amount of pressure to perform and to, to be all things to all people. And, and that is so hard. They are in a very unique, position in the time of the church 
uh, where where we have set them up to to run certain things and and to have ownership over certain things and to lead a certain way and to I mean just do so much and so there's this um, kind of a, a never ending pressure to just navigate the ups and downs of a typical day and then to be present and drive things forward. Uh, that was just the first thing that came to mind because I think our team is just discovering it's like, well, this funeral came up, this, you know, this fire that I have to put out, this that I'm dealing with, this, you know, it, it, it is, is something that continually distracts our pastors from keeping the most important things in the forefront. Um, so us leading with, you know, a stop doing list for our pastors, like, hey, let's continue to go back to what do we need to stop doing in order that we could prioritize the most important things has, you know, continually come to the forefront for us when, when it comes to our coaching and, and things that would set us back. Uh, I, I think that answered your question, Ron, uh, or that was the first thing that came to mind when you were going there, but uh, unique to us, uh, that's probably not unique to us as a, as a diocese. Um, um, but, and then I would say in the Midwest, the thing that's kind of coming to mind, I guess, is, is the, the continued call to complacency, you know? Maximilian Colby, you know, said the greatest sin of the 21st, 20th century is indifference. And I would, and I would argue the greatest sin of the 21st century is indifference. And so pastor, pastors having to navigate um, the, the temptation to indifference themselves, and then fighting that, you know, at the, uh, through our culture, through their parishes, through, through their leaders, you know, um, realities of heaven and hell and our indifference towards that is, is something that I think our you know, our pastors are in a unique place here in the Midwest to push through that complacency and, and really hard to uh, push through that. Love it. So we have, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you for one more. Okay. So as I summarize the first two, that gives you time to think about the third okay, one, because I'm going to want a third one. So, so the first one I'm hearing is the pressure to be all things to all people, the expectations people have on them and therefore the multiple situations they find themselves in every single day distracts them from sometimes the main thing, and and that's hard. Um, the other thing is indifference, maybe sometimes within themselves, but certainly culturally in the people they're trying to lead and engage in new things. What's the third thing that would be a big obstacle that these pastors have to turn around the tide of their parishes to make them sustainably fruitful? I maybe should have led with this, but I think it's it's honestly having somebody there that that encourages and supports and inspires them to take risks and and to say you're not doing this alone i think isolation in their in their um in their decisions and their thoughts in their implementation of these things either from a lack of a, a team at the local level um but also diocesan support or just support in some way that that allows an apostolic zeal and decision-making and creativity to rise to the forefront. Um, I think that the lack of that is pretty crippling to, to most pastors and most leaders. Mm. So what's fun about all those things is that is not unique. Right. That is the exact same in every church, well, in every diocese in the planet. And that's what I always find so cool is that I never hear anything that's not consistent everywhere I go. And yet sometimes people feel like that's only their situation and it isn't. And I often say that if our problems are so similar, my guess is the solutions 
are also similar. And yep. so that's why I can get really excited about leading in this time in history because the problems that we face culturally are staggering and, and significant and similar. Mm -hmm. What are the ones was I missing, Ron? What, uh, what are the ones have you heard that just continue to be common themes? Um, you put me on the spot there. Those are three that I just, I know that's, that was real. That's great. one of the benefits of being the host. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure my pet, my pastors are going to listen to this that I work with being like, Oh, you missed this, this, and this, you know, but that's, that's, that's perfectly fine. They know that I, <laughs> that's a, I missed the mark one of a the lot. things about doing a podcast, right? Yeah. I think one of the things that I hear over and over again, it's probably not an issue where you guys are at, but people approach the sacraments with no desire to be a part of the church. Mm. Does that happen where you're at? <laughs> you might say that. Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, that goes to the, Some compl people the complacency <laughs> and the, the, the temptation yeah, toward. I agree. Uh, you know, people are, are involved in Catholic schools, but they don't come to mass, mm. right? Uh, there's uh, that's certainly an issue, and so you know, giving is is relative. Like as 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 a tradition, we're the lowest givers of all traditions and denominations, and so it makes it hard to hire because the resources aren't there. And so there are just so many things that can be challenging. But I think one of the big ones too is that you know people's kids play sports and so they've prioritized sports and music lessons and concerts over engagement in church and sacramental preparation mm. and things like that. And I think it finds some leaders find that incredibly frustrating. And sometimes when people do start to make changes, change is not necessarily welcomed. And, and so people get really attached to certain preferences. And when, when those preferences are upended or disturbed, uh, you can have some very faith-filled, dedicated, parishioners be really frustrated and upset and that's disheartening because you know it, it sometimes it feels like and it's 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 the fool's choice mm -hmm. you know either we make changes to reach new people or we keep the people we have and it's like no no <laughs> there's a third option there's there's got to be a third option but that's what it can feel like when you're in leadership when you're when you finally get the courage and the to to go in a new direction or try something new experiment sometimes people that you've really been faithful supporters in the past if they don't understand the why and they don't feel like they're bought in and, and their preferences are disturbed. Well, that can be really disheartening to deal with that blowback. And, and, and sometimes people can assume the worst of us in terms of our motives and the reason we're doing things and, you know, what were great relationships before can sour and that can really take the wind out of leader sales. Exactly what you're describing is a conversation that I was in just this morning where there was you know, confusion for one parishioner. Like, we had such a good thing going with that pastor. And as soon as he left, all things went to hell. And now this pastor doesn't do this, this, this. And I was like, oh, this is the worst. <laughs> but it was like, okay, so, I mean, and then it just comes back to redirecting. Well, then what's your mission in that? And is the Lord asking you to be, you know, to beat that drum right now? That, is that the gift that you're providing your community right now is pointing out those flaws or you know, are you being called more right now? It was a very fun conversation to navigate, but that's, that is what our pastors have to, to deal with. Our parish leader yeah. is navigating that confusion in order that we can drive greater clarity about what the mission is and how people can be a part of that. Mission. Um, mm. And gosh, it's a hard thing to do when they don't work, but when pastors do it, when they commit to it, defining those leaders, bring those leaders on, uh, presenting the mission with clarity and, and allowing people to see Patrick Lencioni says the purpose, the picture, the plan, and the part, you know, uh, this is the purpose of why we're doing this. 
the picture of what it could look like. This is our plan to get there. And it looks different than the former pastor and how we do that. And this is your part. And people have clarity in what their part is. And it's not just to beat the drum that what we're currently doing really sucks. And it's not what our old pastor did, but you have a unique part right now. Gosh, when that can happen, beautiful things you know, do take place. It's tricky. And I know too, from the perspective of the lay people that have been engaged and involved, it is disheartening when you have some momentum and your parish has momentum and then the diocese pulls your priest. Absolutely. And you know, let's not downside like underestimate the impact, the disappointment, the discouragement. And I've seen many a church. I have uh, there's only one church in my life, and I'm sure there's lots out there. I've just never seen them because I, you know. But there's only one church I've ever seen that was booming, and the pastor that did that uh, as he transitioned, the next person kept it booming mm. only once. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Oftentimes, I see a church that's booming come in, switch the pastor, and the thing tanks, and it's like we we can see it coming because it happens all the time, yeah. like. <laughs> The times it doesn't happen are almost zero. Yeah. And so, boy, I think there's so many cool things as a diocese that we can do there. Although I get that it's hard because our resources in terms of, you know, clergy are, are limited. Ron, I and think that's so, such a yeah. good point. And I think, you know, I, I'm new to diocesan. I've only been doing this for about two and a half mm. years. So I've, I've maybe, uh, I've been a part of conversations where that has risen to the forefront. And as a diocese, discussed trying to certainly limit that but position ourselves to help our pastors be put most successful and you know not pull the rug out from the momentum that is taking place in church but i haven't got to experience because of my living time in diocese or you know to have yeah. the background to say like <laughs> every parish that i've seen that happen it no longer works you know or it falls apart um right. I, I don't, I guess I haven't had much experience in that. Yeah. Could you, I just was hoping you might be able to speak into that a little bit more of like, why do you think that is? And then why do we commit, continue to commit that uh, against the, the tr- I don't know. Why, why does that continue? To that thing? Yeah. I think part of it is that, you know, that we, and I'm probably not going to use the right words, but we, we just think priests are interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a priest, you're a sacramental theologian. Who does ministry and so as long as you're trained properly and have the right theology it doesn't matter who we have in there because you're all called to do the same job as my local priest as my local priest likes to call it the 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 sacramental pez dispenser that's what he is he's in in jest of course he sees himself <laughs> yeah. as more than that but that's how people view him of course yeah. but that's how yeah that's how he can feel and and so to the the amount of inertia and dedication and focus it takes to turn around the culture of a parish so that it's sustainably fruitful, it takes, it takes anywhere between five and 10 yeah. years. And, and if I was, you know, I always say to myself, if the goose is laying the golden eggs, a lot of times the, I see diocese take that goose that's laying the golden eggs or the pastor who's been able to mobilize a parish to be fruitful in the form of transformed lives. And they take them and they put that, goose somewhere else expecting the same types of results and then they bring another goose Mm. and they bring them in there and think that goose is going to continue to lay golden eggs and it doesn't happen i would rather see that goose stay there as long as it's laying golden eggs in other words as long as that pastor is fruitful and raising up others and mobilizing others and i would move the eggs Mm. because what happens is when people 
encounter Jesus, are filled with the Holy Spirit, and get a sense of their purpose and mission, as that church gets booming, you're going to have some of those people who are apostolic by nature. And they would be more than happy to be missioned to go to another parish that wants to bring about that transformation and start from scratch or what can feel like scratch sometimes and help turn that one around. And this pastor and his team can continue to function at a high capacity, grow in their understanding of leadership, fruitfulness, and assist as many other priests and parishioners as possible from other churches so they can go and turn their churches around. But when we move that pastor, it takes five to 10 years, if they can even do it again, mm-hmm. to create that same environment where they can be fruitful, uh, sustainably fruitful. And so I think part of it is we don't understand how hard it is because we just believe that a priest is a priest is a mm-hmm. priest. And it's so not true. And there are so many other skill sets because they don't learn about leadership in the seminary. It's not a thing. And they don't learn about it once they get out and, and start leading a church. Mm-hmm. And, and, until we get our heads around that and really begin to understand what does it take to turn a community around? Because it's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, you have people that have been there 20, 30, 40 years who some of them are really happy and they're fun to work with. And some of them are set in their ways and they're going to they're, they're gonna burn the barn down before they let you change what they don't like. And so to win those types of situations over, it takes time, energy, and effort. And once you get success... A lot of times people don't understand what it took to get it. And so they'll change things, they'll undermine people, and, and they'll just leave a train wreck behind. And uh, yeah, I think that, that's my perspective. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> that's, it's so good. I think my team being dedicated to, to just learn from best practices from, from self, amazing parish, fine renovation, from people mm-hmm. who, are, who are dedicated to uh, helping parishes uh, experience revival and begin to thrive, you know, wrapping your mind around like, as, as we've kind of developed as a team, a series of phases, naming it's going to take three to four years to, just for this phase. And three to four years is just yes. so hard. And I think in a conversation yesterday with uh, with a pastor who said, you know, the, the real Travis, I see pastors burned out before they were ever put mm-hmm. on fire. As, as one of the things I've loved about working with your team is how many amazingly exciting, faith-filled intelligent, committed people you've drawn on your team. Like, they're, like they're just great. They, like, they're I love amazing. your team. They really are. What are some of the struggles that your team has faced in terms of their self-identity, in terms of how they've transitioned to be that person who can accompany? Because that's not easy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a shift in mindset. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. I've been surrounded by incredibly faith-filled, intelligent individuals. So none of them have struggled. I've probably been the one who struggles the most with these mindsets. Yeah. So they're they're all they're all so great. But it, uh, I, I'm so grateful for uh, you know, Jim Jansen and our Archbishop. These individuals yes. who have prioritized a- accompanying our parishes in this way. Uh, I, I sat with a, a in, couple individuals from the Curia yesterday, and I was explaining some of the conversations I had recently been in with a pastor. And she was in our school's office and she goes, do you think anybody has ever asked that pastor? He's been a priest for 40 years. Any, anybody's ever asked that pastor those questions? And I paused because I was like, if I'm being honest, I don't think so. And it was just simply like, Father, how did, 
this particular thing go and what needs to be changed and what are you doing to be present to that leaders as they change it? Like, it was, I mean, some, well, I assume is basic questions, but like hearing her say that and kind of realizing that helped me to step back and be like, oh my gosh, continued mind shifts are, are, are taking place across our area, uh, across the body that is empowered to support these parishes and needs to continue to have mindset shifts in order to do so. Some of the things that we've had to wrestle with over these two years, uh, biggest struggle to say for me is just time dedicated to ourselves being on the same page, balanced with our presence to, to those that we serve. And, and what is going to be the things that we offer, you know, our presence to them, what's going to be the most leveraged way that we can, we can have the appropriate amount of time with our pastors, parish leaders, and with ourselves in order that there can be unison in, in vision, in, in what it is that we offer. And gosh, we've wrestled through hours and hours and hours of meetings on that, but then also getting out on the course and swinging with our pastors and failing and then coming back and having frustrating meetings and just struggling together to just um, see how it is that we could be dedicated to ourselves appropriately and then dedicated to our pastors appropriately. And I, and I just struggle with, I struggle with that more so than my other teammates because I, I just want to be with people all the time. And I love just, it's like, I'll just go and be with that pastor. You guys figure out all this stuff. I'm just going to go and be with him. And, and they're so good at, at using their strength to make sure that our team is offering things in unison and together and, and the, you know, our presence as best as we possibly can. So I could get into some specifics there, Ron, but I, I hope that kind of paints a picture of what some stuff that we've struggled with. It does, and it's a fun journey because of what I'm hearing, even as you're describing that, Calvin, is I'm, I'm seeing Jesus with the 72 mm. and just saying, okay, guys, I'm going to send you a two by two. And they're like, well, I'm not ready. Don't take this with you. Don't take that with you. Just go. And and I'll meet you back here. Yeah. And and they do. And and so this is a matter of going out, like getting trained or experiencing Jesus, but then now just go try to be useful. Here's the two things I want you to do, you know, share the good news and heal people and then come back and, and then we'll talk about it and we'll figure it out some more. And it sounds like that's almost the, the model of your leadership and your team, which I think is the best model, but, but it's through those trusting relationships and trial and error that we can grow and support each other. Yep. I just love it. Way to I'll, go. I'll rattle off four things that I think we really discovered and, and has, have really set us up to, to see some of the fruitfulness that we are seeing. One was just as we were having conversations with pastors and entering into these conversations of how are things moving forward here and what is the Lord's stirring up and how are you responding to it? We realized if we don't have consistent and intentional conversations with our pastors and set up a, a, an expectation or a cadence for that, it won't continue. And so at first we were just like, okay, we'll contact this pastor. And then when the next thing comes up, we at first said we need a minimum of at least an hour of your time every week so we can stay consistent with our meeting. Like that was just a discovery for our team of like, we need to be dedicated to this and we need to ask them to be dedicated to this type of coaching and conversation. So consistency in our meeting time. And that's fluctuated depending on the pastor and his capacity, but like they're going to be all in on this. We ask for a minimum of an hour of their time with us and then time that we get with them and their team in addition to that. What you said a little bit ago, um, recognizing that we're better as a diocesan team as we discover these things to go out two by two. Like it's not just Calvin working with these seven pastors. I'm always paired with another person on my team, either as a follow-up to, to the conversations I'm having with a pastor or after a training and, and um, 
uh, just making sure that we're doing things, do things as a group of six, but two by two, um, we, we try to commit to these parishes in order that we can learn and grow um, from each other. Number three is consulting versus coaching. We've had to just discover there's a big difference there. I think typically diocesan employees have, been, have functioned more as a consulting type mode. Okay? So coaching, as I, we recently discussed as a team, is 80% listening, 20% suggestion and instruction on implementation. We ask really, really, really good questions, but we're committed to asking really, really good questions that stir up the, 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 the goals, the desires, the passions of our pastors and what their team is doing. And then we try to have 20% of our time being like, well, if you tried this, 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 could you adjust this? Or if you thought about this, um, and then consulting, I just say, is flipped of that. It's 20% listening and 80%, okay, we need to do this, 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 and this, and you should do this, this, and this. And that, that balancing act for that as diocesan employees is, is so hard. <laughs> and it's something we've really had to train ourselves in as a team to say, like, we're going to ask really good questions. Sometimes that doesn't seem as fruitful as saying, Father, go and do this program or do this, and this is going to be the thing that transforms you. So it's that those are the mindset shifts that we've had to experience. Um, I love that. That's the difference between catching fish and teaching someone to fish. Because if you're just telling people what to do, and there are times when that might be mm-hmm, appropriate, mm-hmm. but I think as people start to grow in their confidence and get success, those questions become more and more important because they're so capable to find their own answers. And they're probably way better than anything we could bring up. That's what I find. There's always seems to be a third way to do things. And, and that's where the synergy that happens when you have a trusting relationship with somebody who's willing to try things and learn from the things that went well and things that didn't go so well. I mean, it's just such an important model that you guys are putting in place. And, and I just love how you and Jim and, and the rest of the team supported your bishop with this initiative. And I, I just pray for continued impact and success. I know that as people listen around the world, I think they'll be inspired by what they're hearing. How can they follow you or, or, or what's happening in Omaha? Is, do you have things that they could touch base? That's on? great. Um, you know, yeah, if people, people, if this is a taste of some of the stuff that we're doing and, and uh, if they want to follow along with the struggle of how we're trying to figure this out, I think our, our website equip.archomaha.org, um, you know, one of the ways that we wanted to make sure that all of our pastors get an experience of feeling supported was just through the certain resources that we would present through coaching or, or uh, uh, you know, through our one-on-one relationships with, with pastors, other teams, or with people. We kind of keep it all under that um, that website. So equipped.archomaha.org. Jim runs a uh, a podcast there with where he interviews different archdiocesan leaders and lay leaders and pastors just to to help keep a um, you know a pulse on on how it is that our entire diocese is is moving towards becoming a missional community together. So people want to tune in there. It's equip.archomaha.org. And then I'm always open for a phone call or a conversation. I, I love this stuff. Jesus is Jesus continue to transform my heart. And I, I want to, I want to learn and consume as much as I can from other places and uh, would be humbly, uh, you know, excited to, to share anything that we've learned and grown, um, grown in. Um, as, as a diocese and as a team in order that others would, would maybe not make the same mistake that, that we've stumbled into. 
<laughs> I love that. How would they get in touch with you? That's uh, the best way to do that. Great. Yeah. You, people could always contact me, uh, you know, via social media on Facebook or, or Instagram, uh, Calvin Mueller. Otherwise, my email is CJ Mueller, C-J-M-U-E-L-L-E-R at archomaha.org. Um, would be happy to connect anytime. I love that. Calvin, you know what's so fun about people that really have their head down doing the best they can and and are innovating and, and working within teams as they start to succeed? I always see an explosion of generosity mm. and just being open to talk to others to be a blessing to them and encourage them is just a wonderful example. Of that. Thank you for being on the podcast today. God bless your continued work with your team. You guys are awesome. Ron, thank you so much. In this year of St. Joseph, He's been a, a real guide for us. So thank you, Joseph, Craig, for us. And, and thank you so much, Ron. Let's do what we can to make the world a better place. Dear bishops, please dream big. We need a fresh outpouring of hope, boldness, and passion. And those of us that work at the parish level, let's collaborate with joy, thanksgiving, and skill. All undergirded with consistent and fervent prayer. We can do this. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.